Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris. I'm Rachel Kvelkidale. I'm Chris Nunes. And I'm Nafkote Tambarat. And we realized that uh, due to the sound issues last week and uh, some weird jokes about Naf being gone um, off to marry, fuck, kill the countries of her choice, <laughs> uh, we actually didn't explain why Naf was gone. She was off uh, doing her grand tour, mm-hmm. um, but she is back <laughs> now. And just like any good Henry Miller character, slightly different. <laughs> By Henry Miller, I meant Henry James. <laughs> ruined it. Both, bo- both different. Exactly. Different exactly. I was going to say, I mean, was it that kind of was it Henry Miller trick? Like, so, yeah. Because I was spending time with my mom. So imagine. <laughs> imagine. But only if you're Henry James. Don't imagine if you're Henry Miller. God, no, no. no. It's, no it's against all our religions. <laughs> so this week, we're really excited to bring you the Shyamalan Ding Dong tribe that uh, is me and Naf talking about the king. And Chris trying to get in a word about bowl haircuts. Mm -hmm. But before that, uh, we're going to be discussing what's been on our minds in the world of love. And now it's time for This Week in Love. So, Chris, tell us what's been on your mind lately in the world of romance. (laughs) Okay, so it's not really um, the world of love exactly, but I feel that we've talked about her a little bit on the pod before. Um, And she's been in the news a little bit, so I want to talk a bit about Gwyneth Paltrow. The funny thing is that I don't think we have talked about her on the pod before. It's just that every podcast has talked about her at some point. Right. So it feels like we must have. <laughs> I feel we've definitely talked about her off the pod. I feel that her... I was going to say, I think we've discussed her in and around recording. I think I am her. And, uh... <laughs> That's what I was going to say too. Yes. This is really good at Photoshop. <laughs> but basically, I just feel that anything that happens to Gwyneth is in esprit is a very this week in love subject, at least. Yes. Um, and... Uh, anyway, so there was an article this week about her, about Goop um, in The Guardian, in which it questioned, um, is is Gwyneth Paltrow an art project? Um, wow. And this was, I think, specifically in relation to a new product that she's selling, uh, which is a gold-plated vibrator, <laughs> um, which is selling for $15,000. <laughs> Every time I wonder, is The Guardian irrelevant? They come out with hard-hitting news like this. Thank you. Look, honestly, $15,000, I want that thing to be solid fucking gold. That's it. I want it to be like five pounds. What's I want it somehow to still work underwater. <laughs> when you said five pounds, my whole nether region was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we're ready. I'm not talking about nether regions. I'm talking about value. That's true. Me. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I go to the pawn shop after I've used it a few times. Do not give me some nickel gold-plated <laughs> shit. <laughs> when I boiled that thing down for sprout. <laughs> I want some fair market value. <laughs> I want some ROI, bitches. <laughs> so you're saying it's a ripoff as well? Like, so. Yeah, that's my primary objection to this. <laughs> this might be my retirement fund, what we're describing. <laughs> also, divorce proof. Yeah. Husband never going to get the vibrator in the divorce. <laughs> Absolutely. Nor will he want it. It's perfect. <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's divorce proof, <laughs> conscious uncoupling Don't proof. It, thank you. Vibrator. Um, so you know, in, in in carrying on with this idea of her um being 
an art project that it listed a few of the other things that um, they sell on Goop and with the, the prices next to them. One of them would be a, a $2,000 gong. Um, what? A gong. Um, which, um, <laughs> I'm saying gong. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the concept or the pronunciation that's hitting you. I think it's just I'm wondering about the size of it. Is it like the gong show size of gong? I would assume it's a pretty big, it's a significant, I don't know, there's probably some, there are probably gong experts who could tell me right, uh, the right. way in which gongs are sized. Right. But, uh, yeah, I would imagine a a gong. <laughs> I'm going to say gong again. Yeah. So. Now it just lost all meaning to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that comes, I mean, you can pay also for um, gong workshops <laughs> and your own personal gong trainer. <laughs> Uh, come along with the two Gone just gone. You thought it was bad living near somebody whose child was learning the violin. <laughs> I'm learning the gong. Obviously, there's also the very famous smells like my vagina candle. That's yep. true. And yeah. the jade egg to, uh, I don't know, chains. Uh, here's the thing. Does the candle smell like jade? Like the jade egg that's supposed oh. to go in your vagina? I think, I think jade is odorless. Well, yeah. I mean, it probably smells like the jade I mean, egg after use, I would guess. <laughs> what a diplomatic way of saying it was up my bed. Affiliate marketers at Goop, we're here to find out. <laughs> totally. And we're writers, so we can also do copy editing for a hefty price. <laughs> and it goes on like there's a $40,000 price tag for a single night in a Fijian eco resort like it's um 20,000 40,000 <laughs> to be outside <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not really outside it's an eco resort <laughs> i'm sure i have to be with this i'm sure all this tells us is that the two of you have very different definitions of outside <laughs> I need armed guards to protect me from any passing foliage. I want to feel safe on vacation. So yeah, I was actually so my main thing I was wondering, I mean, given that let, let's let's embrace this idea of the Gwyneth Paltrow art project. And you might have to take a moment to think about this, but can you think of any products that we could offer for the Gwyneth Paltrow art project or for Goop? Like suggestions. We're part I want maybe we're role-playing here. We're part of the Goop um managerial team mm -hmm. and we're coming up with new products and uh yeah anything that springs to mind goop innovation yeah mm. okay it's hydrotherapy mm -hmm. they just uh put you in like basically like a like a a cocoon type thing suspended from like a like a two-sided hammock and suspend you from like trees on either side but you're in the water um and just leave you there for 12 hours thirty thousand dollars Oh, I love that. Because that's it's an experience. The, it's the lasso therapy, bitches. Because, <laughs> yeah, you can definitely up the price because that's not just a treatment. That's a treatment experience. That's beautiful. <laughs> and, I mean, make it in Costa Rica or someplace yeah. in, in the rainforest. They come back here just bones, though, because that's where the piranhas are. <laughs> <laughs> piranha football. <laughs> yeah, piranha pedicure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come back with just bones. <laughs> piranha weight loss product. Oh you, my god. You are very thin now. <laughs> you have lost all the weight. And it's not coming back we along with your life. <laughs> we actually literally can't see you when you turn to the side. Yeah. You look great. <laughs> I was gonna say. Because I was thinking about how to exploit <laughs> other less wealthy countries. Um, so I was thinking. Which is the correct mindset to start from. Absolutely. Yeah, no question. So I was thinking like a clarified butter 
bath. Um, so you get to take advantage of, you know, like butter resources in other parts of the world. I just came from Ethiopia, but India as well. And all the spices and the herbs. And you, you up till your neck, you're in a pool, like a, a bathtub of butter. Right. You're like a turkey brining before Absolutely. Thanksgiving. And, and of course, it's moisturizing your skin. It's doing amazing things to your complexion. It's all natural, you know. And then you can bring in like, this is ancestral treatment. This is spiritual work as well. Yes, you're in there. And you're kind of and the fact that you become more and more immobile right. as the butter hardens, <laughs> that forces you to stay still. You're setting, <laughs> setting yourself in yes. a block of butter. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the more you panic, the more it's working. And like, then you sell the butter in artisanal <laughs> batches. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Right. You can give it to people as a Christmas present. Or, <laughs> or and the butter that Gwyneth Paltrow is in sells for way more because it's <laughs> it's goop butter. It's literally goop. It's but literally oh, goop butter. It's literally just goop. Every time way. you put it on your skin. <laughs> it, it takes your toxins out while letting the ghosts of your ancestors in. <laughs> okay. So for our goop listeners. Really opens those pores. Like if you do not pay us for this shit, you are fucking crazy. Yeah. We have given you so many amazing ideas. TM will always have Paris 2023 <laughs> <laughs> on all those fucking I'm, ideas. I'm wondering if they could, uh, like, this is just, I didn't come up with any ideas uh, before I said this, but now I'm thinking, could they uh, work into kind of like opening into the funeral market, like mm-hmm. goop do funerals, like, and... Uh, yes. yes. There's already something where you can have your ashes fused to the roots of a tree, mm. so that like, when right. the tree grows, it's a modern family. Um, <laughs> I'm a basic bitch when it comes down to it. Um, but like it, like something like that. Yes. Ooh, or you know how there are parts of the world that are supposed to be kind of thinner between the after the afterlife and this life? Yeah, where the veil is thinner. Mm. The veil is thinner, exactly. So you can throw dead bodies into that place. <laughs> and the idea is that the journey's easier. The journey's easier, exactly. What if what if you just go like full on like Con man, like 19th century con man, and be like, you can be reincarnated as the animal of your choice. That's amazing. Do you have to buy hundred thousand dollars? But do you have to buy the animal beforehand? Even if, and especially if they're like an illegal to be brought into the like the country. No, because you're going to be reborn as that animal. That animal hasn't been born yet. Yeah, so it's like you can buy for a hundred thousand dollars. You can be uh, have an elephant package, but um, if you pay, wait, wait, wait. How do I get that elephant package? (laughs) Is it gold plated or solid gold? The specifics matter. <laughs> the price point changes. <laughs> so if you were to pay $100,000 to come back as an animal, what animal would you be? <laughs> like a snow leopard? Um, mm, ooh, pretty came, good. Came into my mind. Not like a bird, maybe. Um, I'd like to be um, a cat or a dog for a very wealthy person. <laughs> Like, yeah. I'd like to come back as Kurt, um, Kurt Lagerfeld. What's his first Carl name? Lagerfeld. Carl Lagerfeld. <laughs> you can pay to come back. I mean, Those back, back as Carl Lagerfeld's cat. Like, yeah. So I am. She's getting all of his wealth. He bequeathed most of his money to her. I want to come back as her. In the form of cat treats given by very begrudging sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the idea that you could also pay, like, several sort of species down the line. So you don't just have to pay for the one life, yeah. but you can do kind of, like, three lives. You could choose, like, or, a couple of short lives animals so you can be a kind of a hamster for a little bit maybe a snail just to see what the hell that's like <laughs> then be reincarnated as a hollywood or, film star I think it's more like tears of you know like it's a hundred grand to be a goldfish but if you want to be a wolf which is my choice thank you for asking um 
<laughs> no, actually, it's a bear. Um, I would be a brown bear. Okay. I would sleep half the time, and I would be so happy. Oh, you would be so happy. That's I'd a really happy. Yeah. yeah, it's very me, sleepy but fierce. It's <laughs> <laughs> my motto. <laughs> Send us your ideas for mm -hmm. uh, animal price points. Mm -hmm. uh, this is our new business model moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there was something else I was going to say. I realized that we're wrapping up, but um, like um, something like silk products made from spider silk. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, this is only because I learned recently that spiders actually, spider silk is actually better than silkworm silk. Um, oh, stickier, the, no? I, I mean, they can probably get rid of the stick. They could probably get rid of the stick. But the point is, is that like you can't get, uh, you can't farm spiders because they eat one another. <laughs> oh my god, you should do spider silk, um, like um, baby satchels. That's not what they're called. Um, uh, because baby yarn. Baby yarn. Yeah. So it's like for your baby, the softest possible, and because it's for a baby, you can like triple the price easily. Yeah, I think it's also stronger you know, as well. So the softest and the strongest. <gasps> Oh, um, that that could easily be six hundred thousand. This is too good for goop. I think <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy this. <laughs> this is not a smells of my farts infuser, like I'd say. <laughs> Unfortunately, none of us have initials that make good words. Um, Wait, could we not combine ours? Um, no, they, we, no, we don't have vowels. We, for Chris, well, we we've have got Kajan. For mm. me, we've got raked, and for me, we've got. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> so yeah, come by your reincarnation spider silk funeral yeah, packages. Literally from spider silk to goldfish. From spider silk to spider. <laughs> we will take you from the beginning of this life to your next. And has it all. <laughs> or doesn't. <laughs> And now it's time for the love story. So this week, we wanted to talk about the uh, whisper of a love story that runs in through <laughs> the last five minutes of 2019's The King with Timothée Chalamet and mm -hmm. Lily Rose Depp. Oh. Uh, as Henri the sorry no as Henry V living in France has ruined my brain France <laughs> living in Francia <laughs> the love story between uh, Catherine de Valois and King Henry V of England <laughs> so the issue with this is that it is very hard to understand or be interested in unless you know a little bit about the history because you'll notice when the movie opens it just says early 15th century that's <laughs> yeah, good enough for me oh my god like and uh, honestly at that point most Americans are like we're out yeah <laughs> <laughs> too old and specific where's Timmy where is he <laughs> I don't even think it specifies England I guess you have to you get that by the context I guess I think like, you're supposed to get that from the accents but uh, yeah. that's true yeah. Chalamet's excellent accent work is ooh, <laughs> beautiful I mean I forgot he was American I think it's about as good as his haircuts, um, but we'll get to all of these. Okay, yeah. So, oh God, so many ideas. My contestation, uh, if that is a word, contestation. I'm only going to do this in like From total like. bastardized uh, version of French and English, known as franglais, known as Robert Pattinson in this movie. Oh. 
<laughs> he is amazing in this it movie. Is, his accent is as good as his hair color. <laughs> his accent's perfect in this apartment when we are going to do this podcast. <laughs> We're going to get there, um, especially to compare it to the other French accents that surround him. Amazing. Uh, all of one, but uh, of which are fake. <laughs> but I think to really appreciate uh, this movie and to really appreciate this movie, movie's failings, <laughs> it, what it could have been. Mm -hmm. We have to know mm -hmm. two things. We have to know the actual history, and we have to know a little bit about the um, Henriade, the Shakespeare plays that this is supposedly based on. So we'll get to yeah. which ones those are. We'll get to all of that. Uh, but first, uh, yeah, Chris and I were talking the other week just in conversation because we're very boring nerds um, about how... <laughs> we're exciting. <laughs> Naf was out dancing at a party and had no fucking time. So, uh, but we were <laughs> discussing why uh, the Henry IV uh, one and arguably two uh, are, in my opinion, some of the best of Shakespeare. And Chris agreed and said, yeah, but they're not really that well known. I was saying, well, you know, it's a little bit because you have to totally understand English succession in the 15th right. century and the Hundred Year War and the War of the Roses for it to really make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like remember at this point, they're less than 200 years removed. So it's a little bit like seeing Napoleon now where it's like, yeah, I don't need everything explained. I know generally what he was trying to do. When it was interesting though, like reading a little bit about this uh, before coming to this podcast and it turns out that like when Shakespeare was putting the plays on, like that would have been a very commonly known story for his audience. Yeah, Chris is really, really ruining my structure because okay. he hates it and wants it to die. <laughs> um, okay, so the actual history of this. So is Henry IV is our first Lancaster king. He defeats Richard II of York uh, and marries Catherine's older sister, Isabella. We don't know who Catherine is yet. This is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> This is uh, sometime in the early 14th century, right? This is in the, um, yeah, in the 14th century. So um, Henry the Fourth, The late 14th century, sorry. Yes, as uh, the subtitles of the film would say. That's it, exactly. When they do the, the movie version of this podcast. Right. <laughs> subtitles. When David Michaud gets another job. <laughs> yes, this will be his next project. Which, yeah. <laughs> he was somebody whose IMDb I definitely spent a long time looking Same at. Same Yep. And uh, yeah. So anyway, he's Henry Boilingbroke. His grandfather was Edward III, who'd started the Hundred Year War. Um, so he defeats Richard II of York and kind of starts the tensions between the Lancashires and the Yorks that will lead to the War of the Roses. Uh, before this, he's made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in 1392 and 93. And uh, he wants to do a crusade to kind of like prove himself uh, the rightful king and spread Christianity. Uh, that was that was foreign policy. <laughs> I'm just going to say, sadly, such a common way of being like, I need to prove my manhood. You know what I should do? <laughs> Slaughter millions. <laughs> it was just a metonymy. They just, should, should we do some foreign policy? And they just went and got their little like, yeah, like, singlets. <laughs> See you in fucking Jerusalem. All right, here we go. Time foreign policy. <laughs> oh no, it's the Ottomans and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So, Parliament accepts Henry IV in 1399, but he spends his whole reign basically with huge plots against him. Most importantly, arguably, is Owen Glendower, who's in uh, Wales and declares himself the Prince of Wales. And then it just says leprosy. <laughs> um, <so. laughs> 
<laughs> my, my thorough notes here are telling us is that I believe Henry IV caught leprosy at some point. Um, From Owen Glendower. Yeah. Fake news, mayhap. Or the Percys, because they're in the same line. Um, so the Percys, who are this very fancy family, they're now dukes, um, with a very handsome uh, heir around our age, uh, George Percy, if you're listening, not not interested. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but the Percys are in Northumberland, which is this northeastern, like, huge uh, county of England, county section. Mm-hmm. But they're... Um, they historically were kind of the liaison between the English and the Scots. They like guard, I mean, much more on the English side, <laughs> but they like they guarded the Scottish border. Um, but Henry's like, I want your Scottish prisoners and they won't give them to him. Um, they're also mad about Wales uh, and that he like things are fucked up there. Um, they're all he's all they're also mad that they won't give back Percy's, sorry, Earl Percy's. Lord Percy's brother-in-law, Sir Edmer, Edmund Mortimer. Um, so I want to stress that we will get to Paris at some point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and also for those of you who are like, I think I read something. Yup, yes, we know. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare took a lot of liberties, <laughs> but you're on the right path. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Hotspur uh, Percy uh, faces Henry IV at Shrewsbury, where he is defeated and— Sh- Shrewsbury. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's one I never got right. That's going to come back a few times. I was like, ah, ha, 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 Chris. <laughs> we see the EW. <laughs> My granny's from near <laughs> Anyway, that's where Hotspur is defeated and killed in 1403. So thus steps in Henry V, who is commonly known as like the warrior king. He actually gets knighted at age 12. He does kind of have this like debaucherous youth that he's later depicted as having. Um, but... Beyond but he has the, that before 12? No. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm ge- that was genuinely meant. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to my students' lives. They're like, I don't. What? <laughs> I was just imagining this first grader, like, <laughs> stumbling around with Spanish sap. <laughs> People grew up quickly in the past. <laughs> hey, give me another point. <laughs> Ballstaff, will you go buy us some Smirnoff ice? <laughs> It's a direct quote from, I think that's part two, right? Um, he's actually raised in part by Richard II um, of York when his father was exiled. Uh, oh, wow. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and so he comes to the throne and basically his his father's last years were marked by leprosy. Everything's in shambles. Um, two years in, uh, he's, he's like, you know what? I really fucking just want France. Uh, he is not as hesitant as in the movie. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, and so he just is like, let's go get France. And the nobles are like, yeah, let's go get France. <laughs> <laughs> Frothing up the mouth. Let's get her. <laughs> and then, like, there are some battles. There's Enfleur. Then there's Agincourt in 1415, where famously the British lose uh, between 400 and 500 soldiers to the uh, French's six to 7,000. Uh, in, like, they had a much larger, uh, much larger ranks. It was a really unexpected victory. Victory. It was due not only to the terrain, which was in the favor of the English, but also, Chris, due to what English invention? Oh, that would be the longbow. That would be the longbow. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that, that when you're 12 years old, that's the only thing you're tested on for a year. Yeah. <laughs> Boats <laughs> and the longbow. <laughs> you're not wrong. Although I, I, I did, I did uh, learn today in research for this that the longbow was such an important um, 
weapon for the English that there was actually a tax, like a, a four feather tax levied on all English geese during that time. <laughs> um, I think the idea of geese paying tax is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, if you were a goose, there would be four feathers plucked off you and going to the, the English longbow ethic. Um, and that's when the first goose union was created. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. I think it was the first union in the UK. They said enough is enough. <laughs> it was called a guild. <laughs> yes, yes. The guild of geese. So, Honk if you want at a right. <laughs> anyway, so that's his first expedition to France. Second expedition is when he really gets the French territory by capturing Rouen, and that's when he marries Catherine. Enter Catherine. Catherine. Kate, as Shakespeare calls her. Ah. She is born 1401 to Charles Charles de Sette. No, Charles de Sette de Cisse. Sorry, it was Roman numerals plus English plus French, and my brain just shut down and just started speaking <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> and Isabeau of Bavaria. So Charles de Cisse is known first as the Bien-Aimé, like the well-loved, because he is well-loved. And then he becomes known as Charles Fou, the, the, the ah. crazy, because mental illness yeah. does run in his family. So he's prone to psychosis, delusions. There's a really interesting phenomenon around this time, but horrible if you're experiencing it or you know, love somebody who is, uh, called the glass delusion, where he believes that his body is made out of glass. And this was really, uh, this. Yeah, yeah, this was a really uh, common delusion. Uh, between the, I believe, the 14th and the 17th centuries. And then just it, it has to do with what's kind of in the zeitgeist and what people's delusions fixate on. He believes he's made out of glass. Is this so, referenced, sorry, like vaguely in Amelie? That's what I was the thinking. Man, like, I was wondering, exactly. I thought about that too. But I don't know in his case if it's a delusion or if it's real. We don't really know. Yeah, but... But is it a play on that, do we think, maybe? I think that's giving too much credit to what's oh. just a charming movie, but never <laughs> <laughs> has the word charming been said it's such a belittling. It's just a charming movie. You know? um, it's not fucking Schindler's List, but it's yeah. charming. Just trying to mention Paris again, just to. You know, um, <laughs> um, but he has things like he has iron rods built into his clothing, so that when people if people touch him, he won't shatter. Mm. Um, so yeah. So Isabeau is basically ruling in his stead, and uh, because of this woman in power, there are tons of rumors about her. She's known as a terrible mother who neglects her children. She's said to be adulterous. Later, it turns out, like, uh, there's a lot of evidence. People have actually found, like, just the records of the stuff she bought for her children. And they're like, no, they had toys and, like, food and shit. Like, we're fine. (laughs) Um, Okay. So who knows? Who who can say? It is probably, you know, the – you know, this combination of a woman and a foreign woman mm-hmm. being empowered that just leads to this. But um, that's that's my uh, take on things. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so there's uh, fight me, fight me, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, Kate. <laughs> We're waiting. <laughs> so. Um, Catherine de Valois is their youngest daughter. Um, there are discussions about marrying her to Henry V when he's still Prince of Wales, um, at least in his opinion. Owen's like over in Wales, like, hi, actually in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but France at that point, very eager to appease England, is just like, you can have your choice of sisters. <laughs> like, oh, look at all these mm. girls. Um, uh, but then uh, Henry IV 
uh, dies in 1413, and uh, Henry V is like, uh, hey, what a hot 12-year-old. Uh, <laughs> how about we keep things going? Apparently, she's very beautiful. This is in multiple sources. He meets her after Agincourt, um, and uh, it's which Agincourt, again, starts the English domination of France that lasts for a good, say, 14, 15 years after this. Um, and this is remarkable as well, because I think that the population of France at this time is, uh, it's not too much of an exaggeration to say kind of five to eight times as big as the English population. Yeah. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a much, much bigger country, but it's quite divided uh, among right. different kind of like battling sections, which I think is, as well as the great success at Agincourt, how Henry is capable of kind of conquering it and pres presumably why they're slightly fearful of the English. Exactly. And at this point, I have in my notes in capital letters, English longbow, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had the longbow. <laughs> and then St. Crispin's Day, famously in 1415, um, the English victory. And he's like, the wedding plans are still on though, right? Like we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, eventually, like uh, during the Treaty of Troy, they he actually meets her and he's like, oh, my God, I'm madly in love with you. Hubba, 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 as I believe with the court <laughs> yeah. document state. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually where that phrase comes from. Absolutely. I mean, the <laughs> accents are obviously different, but right. yes. Uh, It'd be uba, more like uba, 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 uba. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Twins, yes. <laughs> and... Um, so at first I was looking at the like the available evidence and thinking like, oh, he's way more into her than she is into him. Mm -hmm. Like he's mid-30s, she's 18. <sighs> what more can I say? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> as Chris would say. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting Avril Lavigne yeah. when I say that, just so you know. It's, uh, I don't want to take claim of that. I know, but I also don't want to be seen as the one quoting Avril Lavigne. <laughs> what a legacy. <laughs> as Chris would say, <laughs> he was a boy, she was a girl. <laughs> but he just does not want her out of his sight. So he actually, like, when he's on sieges, he gets a house built nearby for her and her attendants so that she can be nearby. Oh, um, at the wars. Cool. Yeah, at the wars. You can do that so, kind of thing when you're a king, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but at some distance so that the cannon might not disturb them. Ah. Oh, um, that is considerate. Yeah. Frankly, yes. Yeah, so this is 1420 that they get married. Um, she is crowned queen. Uh, they, they get married in France in Troy. Um, and uh, she's crowned queen in in Westminster Abbey, I believe, in 1421. Now, um, Thomas, the brother of Henry V, dies this year, which is going to be important for the movie in a little bit. Um, ah, mm. And Henry goes back to England to avenge his brother's death because it, Thomas dies in France on campaign. But Catherine's pregnant, so she stays and gives birth to their baby, Henry, that same year. In 1422, this is the point where I was like, maybe she did like him or like even love him. She writes to him that she earnestly longed to behold him once more. So she has the baby, uh, leaves it in England and just goes to France to join her husband like a few months later. Oh. Um, for a while, but eventually goes back. In that same year, he dies of dysentery. Oh. Um, he's 35 when he dies. She's 20. So there's a big problem because she's really young and she can still get married. She's still like, she's at this point, the mother of the King of England. Mm -hmm. uh, she's really hot. She's 20 years old. It's kind of a great place to be in. <laughs> not if uh, you're a woman. I'm not sure if it's that great a place to be in. <laughs> really? It doesn't mean that you have more power to negotiate? She has no, I mean, she has, she is trapped at the moment because of course, Parliament has a lot of power over the oh, throne okay. by this point. I thought uh, the fact that she was the mother of a boy. Well, here's what happens. So her father 
dies a few months later, and now her son, son is king of England and France, and he's an infant. Ooh. And this is Henry the Sixth, right? Eventually, yeah. Oh, well, no, right, at this point it, too. Immediately, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> pretty much immediately. Um, and so, just rumors start immediately spreading. Everyone's like, "She's fucking Edmund Beaufort, the Count of Mortain," uh, which could have been possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, there was some, you know, sexual tension between the two, um, and it's possible. Some speculate that he could actually be Edmund Tudor's father, but. Let's leave that aside for the moment. Beaufort is actually related to both the Yorks and the Lancasters, but he's like a big Lancaster guy. Um, that That's not the issue. The issue is would anybody that she's with just get too much control? Um, mm. So Parliament passes a law in 1427, so five years after Henry's death, that the king has to approve any marriage that she has. Uh, he is six years old. He can't actually do this until he's of age at 18. Uh, and so in the meantime, she's not allowed to get married for the next right. 12 years, mm-hmm. right. which uh, at that point would make her, let's see, uh, 30, like late 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, who knows if, you know, he's going to immediately approve his mother getting right. married. Somehow, she meets and falls for Owen Tudor, a Welshman who is not only like a – he is serving Henry V's steward. I'm sorry, Owen Tudor? Owen Tudor. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I see where this is going. <laughs> is it the writing yeah. on a wall? <laughs> and you're going to soon see why this history had to come first. Um, at, so she meets him at Windsor Castle. And all we know is that – by 1432, he gets Englishman's rights because Henry IV had limited Welsh rights. So all of a sudden, Parliament is like, this guy, this one Welsh guy, he can have some rights. He can he can have those. Well, that's generous. Um, so we don't know when they're married. They have a secret wedding, we assume, around 1429 or 1430. It's not commonly known until after her death. Uh, but they have six children together, and there's no documents, no writing at all all from the time that question the legitimacy of their children, mm-hmm. which absolutely would be the case if there were any doubt mm-hmm. that they'd mm-hmm. been married. Um, so Henry VII comes from their line. Um, his, fa- wow. his father, Edmund, is their second child. Okay. Whoa, okay. So that so they were probably married sometime before Owen was given rights mm-hmm. uh, by Parliament. Uh, yeah, they give birth to Henry VI, who uh, inherits the mental illness. Sorry, Henry VI is the, the, she, he's the child of um, her and Henry V. Yes, exactly. So he's the, the only Owen, child. The, yeah, but of, Owen Tudor is the six children that she has with Owen Tudor are different, yeah. but that's Henry. Yeah. Spoiler, Henry the Seventh. <laughs> <laughs> I already said that, yeah. yeah. So she's like, oh, bye, babe. Bye, baby. Have fun being baby king. I'm going to go have <laughs> more children. Um, yeah, there's so uh, Richard, Duke of York, becomes the protector of Henry the Sixth and rules on his behalf. Okay. Um, that name should ring a bell. Mm. And uh, yeah, we get the Lancasters fight, fighting against the York, uh, Yorkists, uh, who are way back Plantagenets, uh, basically. Uh, under Henry Plantagenets being the surname of uh, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fifth's family. Um, Henry the Sixth, under his rule, once he's of age, we we England loses all of the French land that his father and grandfather had gotten. However, he does found what does he found, Chris? Oh, I don't know. He founds Eton. 
He found <laughs> Christchurch, Cambridge, your favorite places ever. Yeah, I know. It's and amazing. He found all, 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 all my old alma mater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he found All Souls, Oxford. Oh, that's my favorite. Spear <laughs> did not like him. He does a trilogy on Henry VI, which is just like, look how much this guy fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> You want to hear it again? <laughs> Ask me again, I'll tell you the same. Um, I've never seen or read the Henry VI plays. Nobody uh, has. I, yeah, I, I've heard they're kind of like his early work and they're not so good. Yeah, they're, they're a myth. Um, <laughs> um, they are, well, we will get to that. So um, Edward IV finally comes to the throne. It's the end of the Hundred Years' War in 1475. Woo. And the English give up all claim to the French throne. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, I love the way that we're taught this at school, by the way, which is, um, you know, you get taught about three major battles, uh, Cressy, Poitiers and Agincourt, uh-huh. uh, all of which the English won against staggering odds. Absolutely. Um, and so the big question that, that English school children are walking around with is like, why don't we own France? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so why does something like, called we, France still yeah, exist? We won all the battles. Exactly. And then, yeah, you get one lesson at the end of term, which is like, yeah, and then we lost. Moving <laughs> <laughs> um, on. <laughs> Joan of something, but like we'll get to her later. Like, so, um, not in this episode. But I'm sure we'll, we'll hit Joan of Arc at some point. So the House of York continues until 1845 in Queen Victoria. The um, the the real deciding moment is eventually Richard III and Henry the Tudor. Uh, Henry the Tudor. Henry the Tudor. Henry Tudor, uh, who's later Henry the Seventh, uh, wins the battle. Henry, actually Henry the Seventh, marries Elizabeth of York, and everyone's like, oh, "Okay, we can go home." <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all over. Um, there's a great miniseries called "The White Queen" uh, about that uh, love affair and uh, Henry the Seventh. Fun fact: Elizabeth of York. It is her profile uh, on the queens of, of every pack of playing cards for 500 years. Sorry, oh. it, it says eight eight of every eight. She appeared eight eight times in every pack of playing cards. But it was like there are only four queens, so I don't know how eight times. Okay, maybe old playing cards. It's also different. no accident. I mean, Game of Thrones also takes a lot from this period in yes. uh, English history, and so it's no accident that their houses in Game of Thrones are Stannis, uh, sorry, Lannister and Stark, which uh, sound a lot like uh, Lancaster and York. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. so, absolutely. Um, so anyway, Catherine lives to the ripe old age of thirty six. She had some kind of chronic illness. It was she did die shortly after giving birth. But she was going to an abbey for treatment of some kind of chronic thing that nobody knows about. She's buried at Westminster Abbey. Her tomb gets destroyed during Henry VII's reign because uh, perhaps like it's a question of lineage and uh, like confusion there. It gets fixed under Queen Victoria. So her corpse is a tourist attraction for several hundred years. Samuel Pepys actually goes to visit it. Um, this is from 1669. On Shrove Tuesday, did I say did I say Peeps wrong? Is no, I mean, Peeps is right. Uh, I know that's yeah. right, but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted you to be like it's Bobo. <laughs> it's Pepis. <laughs> no, not when you say as it's written. <laughs> So he writes, on Shrove Tuesday, 1669, I to the Abbey went. So 1669, again, were a good 
250 years after Mm -hmm. her death. And by favor did see the body of Queen Catherine of Valois and had the upper part of the body in my hands and I did kiss her mouth, reflecting (gasps) upon it that I did kiss a queen and this is my birthday and I, 36 years old, and I did kiss a queen. But that's a different kind of love story that I thought we could see for another podcast. I think that's for a Patreon. um, That's a Halloween episode. Listen, guys, I feel everyone was probably doing that. (laughs) Actually, I... I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I think that would have been a very, yeah. I don't know if this is coming up in Marry, Fuck, Kill. <laughs> Corpse of St. <Saint> Catherine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think about taking it just in the horrible direction. <laughs> okay. So the Shakespeare. You have to keep in mind who's queen while he's writing this because uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One, is written bef- sometime before 1579. Right. No, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Before 1597. Uh, Henry IV Part Two is written sometime between 1596 and 1599. And we know that Henry V is written in 1599. Now, the Henriad also includes, uh, like, uh, dis- like discusses those plays, but also discusses Richard II, um, which is not a play I'm as familiar with, but it's Richard II and all three of the Henrys. Sometimes people extend the term Henriad to include uh, all the War of the Roses plays, which uh, include the three Henry VI and Richard III, uh, but it's a term that pops up mid-century uh, in English, uh, popularized by uh, <laughs> someone named Elvin or Eliven Kernan <laughs> in 1969, which seems to me just like a like a, a mixed up code for like this is Kevin <laughs> right through. <laughs> oh my God, Kevin! <laughs> because uh, of course, when we when we now brought this up to her husband earlier, he referenced Voltaire's Henriad, which is about. Henri Cat in France, which is somebody different altogether. <laughs> Damn all these people with the same name. <laughs> and and really, I want to encourage everyone, if you need to pause, take notes, do what you need to do, get some water. It's, it's a lot. And you're doing great. You're doing really well. So look, I, as much as I could spend the next five days talking about the Henriad, uh, we are focused on the love story here, which doesn't come up until Henry V. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's like for Henry IV, part one, let's just say that it's all the problems that, not all the problems, but a lot of them that Henry IV experienced during his uh, reign. He's constantly wanting to go on crusade, but Wales is a problem. Uh, there's his... <laughs> just kind of normal, relatable problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you if know when Wales is acting up right. again? He if is... you're English, I mean, you guys probably can't relate. But He um... has bad influences as his friends. He drinks too much. <laughs> no, that's his son, uh, Hal. Oh, yeah, that oh, is yeah. Hal. Which a oh. friend whose brother is named Hal, I think it's just the best name for a kid ever. Yeah. Such a good name. Strong name. Oh, um... Going off with Falstaff, who's this older knight. Now, Falstaff, likely based on a real person. In early drafts, he's, uh, I believe, written as uh, Oldcastle, which is after Sir John Oldcastle, who was – we'll get into this more with the film, but – apparently like a a Falstaffian character, but not with the same role in – any of this right, right. Um, at all. He's just there for comic relief, really. Uh, he is kind of the butt of every joke and a bunch of practical jokes. I mean, I think that's a little bit dismissive on one of the kind of... I'm like, trying to get to this in three sentences. I, I, I get that, but like one, one of the kind of most important characters in English literature ever. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Kabelke-Dale. He's just there for comic relief. <laughs> 
I also have to say, I saw him. I saw him. I saw the character in uh, what has to be one of my least favorite Shakespearean plays, The Merry Wives of Windsor, over last summer. So I'm like way off Falstaff. Got you. Moment. Okay. Okay. That play sucks. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's like the like he. Yeah, he is this kind of buffoonish character who's like a good time guy. It's a French expression. I think it is. <laughs> Good time, guy. <laughs> I definitely say it a lot. Avril Lavigne said it first. Like, <laughs> um, you know, but like he's he's there and he provides this poignancy, uh, you know, and this this you know youthful release for Hal. And well, he's the- also an alternate father figure for uh, Hal in those plays. So yeah. he's the Hal becoming Henry V, like is torn between the two fathers. Mm-hmm. His actual father, Henry the Fourth, who You're ruining is part di- two. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for part two. I told you. <laughs> um, anyway, you'll get it. <laughs> so it ends with the Battle of Shrewsbury. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. So um, there is absolutely no love interest in this. There is, however, a nemesis, Hotspur, Sir Henry Percy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there was real life conflict between the Percys uh, and the Tudors. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the Lancasters, later the Tudors. Uh, but in real life, uh, Sir Henry Percy is actually born in 1364, more than 20 years before Henry V, uh, who is born in 1368. He's actually a contemporary of Henry IV's rather than his son, which both Shakespeare and the film present him as, like, you know, the same age or younger as Henry V, um, which is absolutely not the case. So uh, it ends with his death. He's gone. <laughs> Part two. Ten years later in reality, but it, in the play, it really seems like very little time has passed. The, Henry IV is still kind of fighting against the uprisings, but also dying of leprosy. Um, the Shakespeare doesn't call it that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's very vague. Um, meanwhile, there are Falstaff hijinks. And uh, Prince Hal timeline, and they're very separated, which is a lot of scholars say this is like the lesser of the two plays. Um, I'm not sure I agree. It has for me one of the best moments in all of theater where after Henry IV dies, uh, Henry IV takes the throne and uh, for, like meets up with Falstaff for one of the only times in the play. And uh, just uh, as he's stepping into this new life, just renounces him. I know thee not, old mm-hmm. man. Get thee to thy prayer. It was just, it was just not as well received at the time, right? Isn't that why for a long time scholarship kind of ignored it? Part two? Probably. Okay, yeah. I I think the thing is that part one ends with like this beautiful battle and, uh, sorry, part one ends with that. And part two ends with a bunch of like epilogues Mm -hmm. that are promises. Like I think it's just not as... I think part one is more of a people pleaser. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like the Shakespeare on love, like maybe there's a dog. So, but at the end of the play, there's this, there's this long epilogue where the, the thanks the audience for coming, blah, 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 as always. (laughs) Tells like, does a teaser for next time, which is like a thousand percent. Like, A, what we do on the podcast and, like, B, what I do in my classes where you, like, promise something that you do not deliver in the next version. So they're like, the next play is going to have Sir John in it and make you marry with fair Catherine of France, where, for all I know, Falstaff shall die of a sweat. Um, Falstaff doesn't appear on stage uh, in in, uh, Henry V. Because they're just like, oh, him, he dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, Shakespeare wasn't perfect, guys. Yes. <laughs> this is also where 
<laughs> they do uh i guess uh i don't know what we'd call it now the like the disclaimer he does the legal disclaimer basically this ends with a bunch of fine print so it is not a pupil pleaser in this last moment because uh it ends with uh this like long thing that like no no falstaff is not old castle <laughs> because he goes and sir john Oldcastle was an anti-catholic rebel right and he goes uh old castle died martyr and this is not the man um so apparently yeah he He'd originally been named Old Castle, but uh, Old Castle's descendants were like, no, thank you. Right. <laughs> and Jason was like, I read the comments and I <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Me neither. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've written this apology in the notes app that yeah. is now going to <laughs> yeah. be uh, the epilogue to this play. The actress member I said 20 minutes ago, don't worry about it. <laughs> and so by the time Henry V comes out, he's like, nope, JK, like a uh, false staff. Right. He died. And uh, we get way more factual. So actually, the one, the plays without false staff, uh, which are Richard II and Henry V are way more factual and a lot worse. I mean, <laughs> we're not afraid to tell you the truth on this podcast. Not every Shakespeare plays Henry perfect. Five is, Henry V is pretty good. Like both of them have have their qualities. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because Henry V centers around Agincourt. So um, it is the way that Shakespeare presents it is actually pretty uh, true to life, as true to life as you'd get to history as you would get uh, on the stage. Um, the only noble casualties we've already talked about, you know, four to 500 English casualties, are the Duke of York and the Earl of Suffolk. But in fact, what he does not put in there is that uh, York dies because he falls off his horse and has a heart attack. Oh. Maybe not the, the way you want to be remembered in history and now you are Duke of York uh, That's embarrassing. so then there's the Treaty of Troy which uh, again the play makes it look like it happened immediately after but uh, we know it was several years uh, where England's just like France is ours now and Henry's like her I want her that one please <laughs> oh I was supposed to have her anyway that's perfect um, so it ends with the French king kind of like adopting Henry as heir to the throne and the French queen also um, um, there are actually parts of written in French uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's in some ways a lot more comprehensible than the Shakespearean English actually. <laughs> <laughs> it really is because it's like it's yeah. still it hasn't changed that much compared to English yeah. since the 16th century. Uh, so uh, like for example uh, I have. This is in the courtship scene between uh, him and Queen Catherine. Yes which also is written in accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is absolutely excellent, um, <laughs> where he has King Henry V saying things like, an angel is like you, Kate, and you are like an angel. And then the maidservant who's trying to translate and is going, yeah, that the tongue of demands be full of deceits, that is the princess. And it's like, what, is she German? Like, what, what is this? <laughs> Again, Shakespeare, not perfect. <laughs> But doing his best. <laughs> He'd probably never been to France. He'd probably met one French person or even He met a German person yeah. posing as a French person and got confused. And he was like, honestly, European. Although actually there are probably scholars who would say like, well, actually the French accent has changed a lot since Shakespeare's time. And uh, in fact, it probably would have been more Germanic than that era. Shakespeare was right. Well, at this point, we just have so many centuries of xenophobia behind us that the line, me understand well, does not translate Ooh. Perhaps as uh, nicely as it would have. And meanwhile, King Henry has all of these lovely speeches, uh, and <laughs> she is saying things like, "I cannot tell what is that." <laughs> Direct Yikes. quote. Um, Yikes! 
And then uh, she, she said, uh, "Hey, it's okay." Even <laughs> she even praises him in French. She says, uh, he, "He says I shall never move thee in French unless it to be it to laugh at me." She says, "Le français que vous parlez il est meilleur que l'anglais lequel je parle." And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're saying I cannot tell what is that. And he's like, I won't. I won't. Let's see the one thing that he says in French. Donc votre France et vous êtes mien. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that sounds symbolic. Yeah, yeah, but but he's not doing it in an accent. Where is she like what, votre what, France what? vous êtes mien? Like yeah, it's not. And your France and you are mine. You, yeah, you mine. You France. No, France is, like, what are, France is yeah. yours and yours. You're mine. Uh, oh, uh huh. And then she she says things like, uh, "I do not don't know that." <laughs> yeah. Um, so when she talks, she becomes like a three year old. Yes, that I want that. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Your Majesty of Vos of A V E, Vos French enough to deceive the massage demoiselle that is in France. <laughs> The thing is, I guess that like Shakespeare was probably playing it for laughs as well. Like, definitely you know, no. It's like his his a like. Isn't it hilarious that a French person is trying to speak English? And, and they're doing it terribly, yeah. <laughs> predictably he, he's, terribly. He, he's playing to the groundlings. Like, sure. so, yeah. And I'm sure it's huge laughs. We want Agincourt. Now he's just going to marry this idiot. <laughs> and let's be honest, even now when we hear like a really cliched French accent, we're like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but what's really talk, interesting like, is that... going to talk about Rump Patrick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When we like when when you think about this, it's like actually, uh, so he's performing. The Queen Elizabeth is still alive. That's who he's writing like this for, mm-hmm. and who will see this, etc. Uh, she's not directly related to Henry V. Right. She's directly related to Catherine, um, who does not uh. get to say things like uh, "By my honor and true English, I love thee, Kate." Uh, she's the, related to the person who says. That is as it's tell peace with the roi mon père. Then it's all also content me. And you can only imagine Queen Elizabeth sitting there being like, that's my grandmother. <laughs> or maybe she, but I think she might have just been laughing really hard. And only later on as she was like, you know, kind of undoing her tresses, she's like, Fuck. Yeah. Well, Henry V is 1599. She dies, what, 1601? So, so it's very, maybe she's not even seeing it. Oh. She had other concerns. I think as well, kind of like spiritually. Uh, she would have considered herself, or, or rather the English mm. people would have considered her as related to Henry V as opposed to being related right. to Catherine. Well, like in right. that, that like in the line of descent. Yeah, it's all about kind of creating like, the illusion yeah. of a line of descent. Right, so it wouldn't Actually. have been, okay, exactly. So it would have been reflective on her that mm. she's a French idiot. Yeah. 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 Um, and meanwhile, like he actually goes, <laughs> he doesn't name the French king <laughs> in the play. He's just named French king. <laughs> that's, that's his character. Honestly, that's all he needs. Oh, great. Lovely lack of research. Keep it simple. <laughs> he doesn't have the internet. He doesn't have time. <laughs> Says, uh, shall Kate be my wife? And the French king says, so please you. I am content. So the maiden <laughs> so city, you talk blah, 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 blah. And the French says, we have consented. <laughs> and they're like, blah, blah, blah. On and on. So, um, so yeah, Shakespeare uh, has a rolling, rollicking good time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically ends this with an epilogue of, uh, and their child was Henry the Sixth, And you know how much we fucking hate him. Because I wrote that back in 1591, the last right. of that uh, trilogy. So contemporary his language at times. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not so? <laughs> Just a real pioneer of what was going to become our vernacular. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, so wow. it's in this context that we get the king. Which is not real history mm-hmm. and is not Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It's something else. It's a whole other animal. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, um... So, a little bit of context for uh, those of you who are still here and hanging on 
Loving mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, director, writer, and producer, David, well, David Michaud, co-wrote this with Joel Edgerton, who plays Falstaff. Which I'd mm-hmm. forgotten. And when I saw it at the end, yeah. I was like, of course you fucking co-wrote this. <laughs> He's like, but what if Falstaff wasn't like funny at all, yeah. but was like the secret hero? <laughs> and what if instead of like being like super uh, cowardly and like, horrible and like, you know, like all of these, like, what what if he's just like secretly really brave <laughs> there's even a line in the movie i don't know if you remember it but it's like you know if i wasn't coming out to france with you hal then i'd just die on a you know, oh. drunken cheap side yeah uh, and then he goes I, I, you don't know if we remember we all know we watched this this morning <laughs> and, then goes, and then he goes and i think this is a better story <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which is a lot like laughing at your own joke which uh, we're actually Real. less against on this pod than uh, Falstaff is also a military genius in this movie <laughs> <laughs> he's like what if we what, what if i took the bow but i just like made it long <laughs> basically the movie is a combination of the the two henry plays like the two Henry the Fourth plays, and a little bit of it's a it's a little bit of all three of the Henry plays, yeah. really. Um, sorry, that's Henry four and five, not six. Who Shakespeare literally like in the epilogue to five is just like fuck that guy. <laughs> I said it once, I said it twice, I've said it three times. We know, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, so this is uh, yeah they they write it in 2013 and it's filmed in 2018 comes out in Netflix 2019 which just made me be like I could never write a film this would drive me crazy <sighs> yeah um the like 18 month two year wait on publishing a book is already enough for me so basically uh yeah we have Hal just carousing and jesting his father's quite ill uh timothy chalamet is looking all rumpled we never see him really having a good time we mostly only see the hangovers yeah (laughs) he's just he's always quite sad and Mm -hmm. it seems like drinking kind of briefly alleviates it but he's still kind of a downer yeah and whereas like shakespeare's howl has this motive like has this secret motivation that at least like there's a really there are different ways of playing it but like this idea of like no no like i'm just doing this now so that like when i actually step like i'm being like such a shit so that when i step up to the throne i'm gonna look amazing in Mm -hmm. comparison um which is kind of what happened in history and shakespeare like what if you planned it from the start right um this howl is just like uh, no, like life's a bummer. <laughs> and his being a downer also is really linked to it, it feels like we're supposed to understand he's so much more humane than everybody else. Like the reason why yeah. he's so sad yeah. is that he's the only one who understands the value of human life. Yeah, because he like at one point it's just like, we need that prisoner back. And we're like, yeah. ah, it's all become clear, even though it's just 20 white men around a table talking about another right. white man we never hear or see again. It just feels like that character was born in the 21st century and everyone else is from that time period, and he's like Guys, I don't want to be a virtue signal. And they're like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) He just seems to come with an entirely different moral code that emerges from nowhere that from in this situation, in this context. Exactly. That said, if you do need to, for some reason, read the like all of the Henry plays, if you were supposed to have done that this semester and did not, and now you're writing a paper, we're going to tell you how this is different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also recommend watching the Tom Hiddleston BBC version of the Henry ad, which is really good. And if you have less time, uh, I was going to close with this, but Chris is just intent on messing up my chronology. Wow. Watch Chimes at Midnight, which is the 1966 Orson Welles Henry ad. People always wanted to watch. Yep. Um, 
And it's on the Criterion channel, actually. So um, didn't even get money for that. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. So um, he's hanging out with Falstaff uh, in Eastcheap, which I'm not sure in the play is specified in the place or specified the yeah. area. But uh, Eastcheap is where they go um, to have dinner after they rob. Mm-hmm. And then they get robbed from the robbers. Correct. Uh, correct. Nap did uh, more than her share of the homework this time. I am reading off of Wikipedia. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, Henry the Fourth dies real early in this. Like he's like, "Oh, I'm sick," and Henry's like, "No, I'm not coming." And Falstaff's like, "You should probably go see your dying father," which is not the Falstaff vibe you get from the plays. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Falstaff in this is like. You know, when a parent dies, yeah. it's really tough. And like in the plays, Falsif is like, fuck it. Falsif, like, do you think you could trick them out of money while he's dying? <laughs> like, uh, maybe um, we could rob somebody on the way there. Um, yeah. So uh, basically, uh, Henry IV dies. Uh, like they've sort of made up. Hal is now King Henry V. He's getting all of these gifts from uh, different rulers. In the Henriad, he gets uh, tennis balls from France. In this one, it's just one ball mm-hmm. because uh, <laughs> I, I budget didn't allow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they spent all their money on hairdressers. <laughs> I was going to say on that mechanical bird. <laughs> I, I, I think that the tennis ball thing is uh, historically accurate, though. Yeah. But the, it, he genuinely was sent. Uh, either a tennis ball or some tennis balls from... I uh, didn't know that. And it's from the Dauphin. Not it's from, from the Dauphin. The, uh, I thought that was a yeah. theatrical flourish. Nope. No, no, no. no. This is actual history. Um, but they're not tennis balls at this point because they don't have tennis. They have... Um, it's like the balls that you'd play uh, jus de pomme with. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's jesting. Uh, which is a precursor to tennis. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like jesting at like the Dauphin making fun of Henry the... Fifth's sort of like lackadaisical youth, basically. Mm-hmm. When he's sending him that, he's saying like, "You're just still a child," basically. Okay. Yeah. So basically, there's a an assassin who comes to his court, like Henry the Fifth, young Timothy Chalamet, not as young as he was, is now king. He's having troubles with the nobles. Everybody's like, "Oh, you should be, uh, you know, doing this. You should be doing that. You should be invading France." And he's like, right. "I don't want to do any of that." And again, he seems to have trouble with the nobles because he's too good at being king. Like, that's what's yeah. also really interesting. They've literally just scraped him up from off of the sidewalk of East Chief, and then now he's like, shouldn't we try to get peace? Like, isn't civil war kind of terrible? It's like, Hal, did you even know there was a civil war? Yeah, and Henry V was not, like, a humanist. In, like, in his, that's like, it. He was like, he was like, oh, I think... I, I think I can see a country over that water. Yes. I want it. Yeah. It's it mine. <laughs> well, I think the thing which is so funny about this film is you can really see the kind of the Hollywood machinations behind everything. It's like, we, we you know, we've got this sort of bare bones of a plot, which is sort of kind of history, kind of the Shakespeare thing. And they've said, well, this is a great story. But the problem is, is that, like, are these characters really likable mm-hmm. in a kind of, like, Hollywood sense? And the language. They... Let's modernize yeah, yeah, the let's, language. Obviously, let's modernize the yeah. language. And, 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 yeah, and so they then have to kind of bend over backwards to reverse engineer all these things, which is sort of ironic, I think, particularly in the Falstaff character, in the sense that you're making him kind of, quote, unquote, nice in a Hollywood sense. And yet, uh, Falstaff has historically been one of the most beloved characters of all time. Right. Precisely yeah. because he is kind of like amoral mm-hmm. and is out for himself and all that kind of stuff. But, you know. Yeah. That- and Mary Wives of Windsor is written because Queen Elizabeth wants to play just about Falstaff. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. that's how much 
she loves him. But that clearly doesn't fit what like Hollywood or Netflix mm-hmm. uh, yeah. want from us. Or script. arguably contemporary mores. Like I yeah, don't yeah. know that the public right now would want that. Mm-hmm. So the bowl cut's real. Henry V did have a bowl cut. Uh, and uh, when he gets coronated, he Chalamet has one. He did not want one. <laughs> but they gave it to him. And I will say controversial take. I liked it better than the greasy (laughs) fucking locks he had before. This at least had a shape to it. There was a purpose behind it. I wasn't mad at it. Yeah. I think that the aesthetic of this whole film, by the way, is sort of like a little bit of a rogue Vogue photo. Thank you. It's it's Annie Leibovitz doing fucked up Alice. (laughs) Because Timothy Chalamet has worn outfits on the red carpet that are very reminiscent of his actual costumes in this movie. Like the chainmail. He's worn that before. (laughs) Maybe for a Wonka premiere or something. (laughs) Uh, Well, we might not be there yet, but the the suit of armor worn by uh, Hal's brother, which looks like it was designed by Louis Vuitton. It looks like a Louis Vuitton traveling case. Yeah. But has been made into a suit of armor, basically. I think actually, yeah, no, I'd actually totally set that aside. The opening to the movie is the um, Battle of Shropshire. Um, where, <laughs> uh, where at this point they make Thomas die so that Henry can be king, but that was never a historical fact. It's not right. in the, like he died twenty years later. The whole thing is that Hotspur dies. They did not die in hand to hand combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hotspur was just killed in that battle. More generally, that's it. Um, which is important, but yes, uh, he he looks like he's uh, something from a museum that's come to life. <laughs> just like good good job. <laughs> and it just seemed like also every uniform that Timothy Chalamet's character wears was tailored to him in a way that I'm like, I know he's the king, but he still has to go to warfare. Surely they're not doing designer armor at this yeah. point. They didn't have shark skin back then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't appreciate that Thomas's armor when he sits down and like his armchair on the battlefield, you could tell it's really hard for him to sit. And I did like at least that they made an attempt to be like, this is uncomfortable shit. <laughs> Exactly. So basically, the the like there's an assassin who says that he's been sent by Charles VI, right, France, and uh, they speak in French. So we get honestly charm the freaking. <laughs> I was gonna say pants off me, then I was gonna say gold dildo out of me, and then I was like too much pants off of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad <laughs> you walked us through. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you know what I censored slash didn't censor. That's good. That's um, good. With uh, Timothy Chalamet speaking French. Because at this point, Timothy Chalamet doesn't speak French in a movie. He doesn't get paid. Exactly. <laughs> That's in his contract. He is not allowed to be like, in a movie. You know it's really hot when you have, like, one French parent? <laughs> <laughs> You're like a New York kid. Biracial kid, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Lily Rose Depp is doing the same thing. Let's face it. Like, it's, <laughs> That's true. And Lily Rose Depp has a lot less to work with in terms of acting talent. So bless her. <laughs> With this in mind, um, he's, so he say. interrogates the the assassin, and it's very much less about like, oh, was this assassin actually sent by Charles VI or the Dauphin versus like all of the nobles want me to go to war with France, right? Um, and like it's necessary to unite England. So he's like, oh, okay, I guess if we have to, we'll invade France mm-hmm. instead of the real nobility uh, aristocracy, which was just. Gimme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With some pointing. So they they sail for France, um, as Wikipedia says, after completing the siege of Arfleur, which like actually takes like <laughs> half an hour in the movie. <laughs> this movie is two hours and twenty minutes. And one does wonder. You could need a license. <laughs> at the end of it, I did wonder why was it this long? Like, yeah. did it need to be this long? <laughs> yeah. And like these guys were like, Oh, we were combining three plays. And it's like, no, you were that that was the cliffs notes. That's it. That was the cliffs notes of somebody who wasn't paying that much attention. 
<laughs> exactly. It feels a lot like a screensaver a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, a 3D <laughs> screensaver. I mean, the siege is also kind of ridiculous. Again, because we have to keep proving that Timothée Chalamet, and I'm just going to keep calling him Timothée Chalamet. He's not a real person. Um, <laughs> he's the most humanist. He's the nicest person ever. They're like, we should storm the castle. And he's like, I'm not going to let my men go on a speculative venture. We're just going to keep... I actually, at some point, was like, is the castle empty? By the way, everyone, I've seen this movie before. I had completely forgotten it. It's not empty. They do win. Kind, yeah. Kind of. The, 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 yeah, they get the the, the other guys surrender. Um, yeah, and so uh, basically after completing that, um, the French army is gathering and uh, one of the nobles is like, we need to retreat. But Falstaff is like, no, no, no. It's muddy. <laughs> and also, it's really important to mention here that at this point, we've seen a number of these war conferences where Falstaff says nothing. And finally, Tim T. Chalamet is like, hey, it'd be really nice if you would fucking speak up and say some shit. And he's like, I only speak when there's something that needs to be said. And this is his big moment. Yeah. Absolutely. He's like, my right knee's aching, so it's going to rain. And from from hence, a whole military <laughs> campaign is born. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that the French are going to be in their armor on their horses. Mm -hmm. And the English, like, have their longboat. They can be far away. They can, like, you know, not wear as heavy as stuff and just right. like, run up between them and be like, don't worry. There are no horse murders in this movie, literally. Some great horse acting, though. Great, some great horse great acting. Great horse acting, yeah. Not like Napoleon, which begins with a horse murder. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's really graphic. Oh, no, I'm never going to see it now. Oh, God, this movie was, it's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, the Battle of Agincourt starts. Right. Falstaff's plan is working. So good. Um, yeah. And uh, basically, uh, false, like it works, but Falstaff gets killed. Did you guys think at some point that he was in a mosh pit? Like the <laughs> the camera kind of goes above and it's like muddy and great, but he's just kind of like inter like they're all like roiling together. It yeah. didn't make me think a lot of a music festival. <laughs> right? The way that the kind of the, the the thing is shot, and then I was actually thinking, are music festivals? Do we have this kind of like desire to be in? Uh, effectively a medieval battle just sort of somewhere deep within us and so we've invented were, music yeah. festivals you were thinking about this so much deeper than I was which was just in the play he pretends to be dead so that he doesn't get uh, actually killed right. and so I was just waiting him for him like I was like how are they going to work that into yeah. just like <laughs> but no he's for real dead <laughs> give me some sack yeah <laughs> Um, so we go, Hal goes to see the king, and uh, the king is played by that guy from Du Poisson, the calm agent. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> and he's just like, I'm crazy. Would you like to be my heir? <laughs> crazy means nice in this era because I seem totally with them, <laughs> just kind of not paying attention. Oh, by the way, the Dauphin has been around. He's Robert Pattinson. He has a he has he has the Catherine French accent from Henry V. Right. Whereas his Charles the Sixth actor, whatever his name is, has an actual French accent. And Lily Rose Depp is like somewhere between the right. two. Right. This family grew up in different Frenches. But I would really encourage if you don't want to watch the whole movie i understand do find the robert pattinson scenes i'm sure they're somewhere on youtube or tiktok yeah. they're just hilarious he's fantastic he he's absolutely wonderful fucking steals that show. you must have big balls and a tiny cock and i was like ah, i forgot about that part <laughs> I did but there is child decapitation which somehow bothers me less than horse decapitation like way oh, less. yeah i forgot about that uh, oh huh, yeah. i forgot about that and then a child has to carry one of the decapitated child's heads into to to the king on robert pattinson's orders yeah yes. the french are the baddies guys yeah 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 yeah, yeah. they need to be conquered. They yeah. Need to be conquered. <laughs> um and so uh then we get lily rose jeff 
who uh, just in terms of nepo babyism is perfectly cast. Yeah. And um, honestly, she's not offensive in this role. It's not like for those who are worried, it's not like her other roles where you're like, oh, why is she acting? Mm-hmm. They keep to a minimum. She just has to recite lines that she's memorized. She's very good at it. She speaks French. Um, weirdly, her role in this seems to be to, you know, kind of go along with the humanist modern king. Yeah, she's like the ur-feminist. Yeah. She's like, I will have my own mind. She's like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to just, you know, roll over for you. Like, you need to earn my respect. And he's like, fair. <laughs> <She also does laughs> you a- know how princesses talk to kings back yeah, in the exactly. <laughs> She also does a great French thing, which is she's like, yeah. um, he's speaking to her in uh, in. English, I think. And she's like, yeah, I don't really speak English. She says that in French. She's uh-huh. like, well, you're going to have to speak a bit of English. And then suddenly she's got flawless English. Like, the number of French people who I've met who have been like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't really speak very much English. And then suddenly they're reciting Shakespeare. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> it's such that she speaks flawless English. She's speaking about kind of difficult concepts to speak about in any language. And she's able to perfectly articulate them in this language that heretofore she claims to have never spoken. It's, it's this Hollywood thing of like the, how you say, table table is actually an artificial construct yeah. <laughs> from uh, and you're like but you didn't know table though but yeah. you are <laughs> it's that level of uh, bait and switch <laughs> um, and so um yeah, I uh, like. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll quote from Esquire here. It says, um, after the English beat Robert Pattinson's goofy Dauphin, perhaps the most pathetic death scene ever filmed, the <laughs> King of France offers land and his daughter Catherine de Valois to the king. No tears are shed for her brother's muddy, embarrassing corpse. She even they, says, my idiot brother. Yeah. Like, she's very clear, fuck him. <laughs> she's like, you know how when somebody in your family is not that bright and you're like, I'm so glad they're dead? Yeah. <laughs> For no other reason. Relatable queen. <laughs> Hashtag relatable queen. And the movie also ends in this really, I mean, I guess spoilers for the king, but honestly, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, you're going to be fine. Is that there's, like, I think literally in the last, like, 12 minutes, we find out that the person who's been, up until now, his kind of closest advisor after Falstaff. Yeah, I guess going Right. Deceived him into going into France. He kills him really yeah, intensely, like in the spinal cord, um, in front of a child. Like, right. The amount of the amount, I kept thinking because this is where I am in my life. God, these kids are going to need so much therapy. <laughs> I just kept thinking about the trauma. I, too. I was really, just like, but also the numerous takes. It's like you're going to watch like this actor stab the other actor in the neck like a hundred times. Exactly. And you just have to not react. <laughs> and then the movie ends with Timothy Chalamet going to Lily Rose Depp and being like, "Just promise me you'll never lie to me." And she's like. And that's how the movie ends. Well, and there's no, think, there's no follow-up subtitle that says he died of leprosy two years later. That's it. I, uh, dysentery. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no. Henry IV died. Oh, yeah. yes. Of um, yeah. But I, I mean, I think like thematically in the movie, because, you know, like Hollywood scripts have to be like super tight. Mm-hmm. And what you've kind of got going on is that like one of the central issues that Chalamet's character is dealing with becoming king is that there's no one he can trust. Yes. And he can trust full staff. He can't trust anybody else Falstaff dies and then it's implied I think that he can trust Lily Rose Depp yes like, at exactly. the end like so you know so we've got some sort of resolution for if only for he could fast forwarded six centuries to actually meet Lily Rose Depp <laughs> <I know. laughs> instead of Catherine de Valois <laughs> and there's also something that's really when he speaks to the Dauphin's father um there's this comparison made between kind of like warfare and nations fighting with each other and family dynamics. Like, yeah. so that he, definitely, they, they definitely hit the family thing on the head. Yeah. And it seemed, I mean, 
again, to your point, Chris, like I think it is, you know, the makers of this movie trying to be like, you can relate to this too. You yeah. may not have had, you know, been tasked with being the king of a nation, but you know how you fucking hate your dad? Well. <laughs> and there's a little part of it too where it's implied like, well, now you have this new father because she's like, he is crazy, but we love him. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves him so much. Not yeah. like my idiot brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so happy he's dead. <laughs> yeah, so, I, like, again, if you're going to watch a Henriette ad- adaptation, it's Chimes at Midnight, The 66 Wells, or whatever Chris said. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yes. But um, a few other factual <laughs> errors here uh, versus history. Again, wasn't upset about going to ro- war. Uh, kill all the prisoners. That does appear as well in the Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But uh, he actually lets the nobles live. That's not out of, like any kind of goodness of his heart. You know, it, like, it's it, it, it's a very dramatic line in the movie where he's like, yeah, ki- like, the prisoners, like, kill them all. Mm-hmm. No, it's because they would use them for ransom, obviously, because they're the ones with money. Something, there are a few scenes in this where Timothy Chalamet kind of really has to go very red in the face, and I watched, Alice watched some of it with me, and one of her comments was, um, like, imagining Timothy Chalamet in his house in Hollywood, or kind of Beverly Hills, <laughs> just in front of the mirror, kind of going like, we are men of England. <laughs> You are going to fight with me now. You are England. England is between the space between you. Yes. And this is the thing. <laughs> that speech. This speech replaces the St. Crispin's Day speech. I know. The once more unto the breach difference. He's like, worth we're going to de- Once more unto the breach is a different speech from the oh, St. Crispin's right, Day speech. Excuse so. me. So cut that, please. <laughs> <laughs> One has a reputation to maintain. The St. Crispin speech, which Chris is going to do for us now. <laughs> we few, we happy yes. few, we band of brothers. <laughs> and instead he does an Oprah where he's like, and England is you, and you, <laughs> and you're in England, and you're in England. <laughs> but also the spaces between you're in England. So think of that. Fight for the spaces, he says at some point, quite literally. Fight and you for get the spaces. England, and you get in England. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that I made me think about, and I, like maybe I, I don't know about the, you know, the love story of this. I was also thinking about the love story between England and France as yeah. two kind of general concepts. Very much this love-hate. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I mean... The mute cute's still happening. <laughs> and I definitely, like, I, I sort of had this, it's funny, like, I watched uh, Master and Commander the other week. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I might have spoken to you about it, but kind of watching that and, you know, Russell Crowe has his little speech about the ship. It's a very similar speech in which he goes, like, this ship is England. Um, <laughs> but I feel that, that in, in that film you've really been building up to that moment mm-hmm. of the kind of like everything that's happening mm-hmm. on board this ship in the Napoleonic Wars is very very English and it is that idea of England kind of like expanding and there's a corner in this one there's no sense of like you know Timothy Chalamet being English or an Englishness the yeah. other thing is um, too that if you know British people you know they just do this all the time Chris has already conquered my house like four times <laughs> yeah. he just goes around pointing at things going this is England and that's this it is England. and I'm like enough like, we're trying I'm, to work our way out of it. Um... I'm so glad we got you out of that whole beheading phase, though. That was so fucking weird. And we have Kevin to apologize to your neighbors. I uh, mean, it was such yeah. a tough... Mm. It's so tough. Yeah. I'm like, do I even want to be living in the Commonwealth? That's exactly <laughs> it. The impaling alone. But I'm being entirely serious that there is, I mean, less with this film, but, you know, I, I, there's sort of the idea of watching it and being like, oh, we've been fighting the French for uh, like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years. And, mm-hmm. and 
am I a traitor like living in this country? Like it's a, um, or as again, Alice said to me, well, in some ways, like we've conquered this little bit of France. <laughs> our, our apartment, like, <laughs> so are we traitors or? Um... Or are we starting the empire, but really small? You know what I mean? <laughs> We're not going to repeat the mistakes of the past meters of at a time. <laughs> and this meter is England. And this meter is England. And the space between you and me is England. <laughs> I said, cup of tea? <laughs> the Dauphin who does appear in the uh, Shakespeare play was in fact not at Arfleur, uh, Enfleur or uh, at Agincourt but uh, of course uh, Shakespeare puts him in for some nice accent work for mm-hmm. some actor who's never heard a French person <laughs> and um, then the filmmakers did the same <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They were like, what an unbeatable combination. <laughs> they were like, Robert Pattinson, do you know French or have you heard it? Or a French person speaking English. And Robert Pattinson was like, no, I have not. And they were like, perfect. <laughs> Don't start now. <laughs> we have just the whole for you. <laughs> so I, I, I think the thing, honestly, with this film is that in a story, like in, in a history that was then shaped into a story that has so much passion. This comes out with like so bloodless. Yeah. Like, it's very intense, but without any kind of uh, like juice to it. Right. If that's it. Like if, if like there's no, and I think that that really cuts the tension because the tension's kind of, it starts at a nine and mm-hmm. kind of stays, they try to keep it there. Right. But like it starts on a battlefield. So it's very hard to, like translate that to every single scene. That's um, it. So they try to get there just with Timothy Chalamet, like looking like with his eyes downcast. And there's really no moral ambiguity with any of the characters. Either the characters are correct and thus good, or they're stupid and bad. Yeah. Um, and then the one character we have who could be a little bit in the gray zone is bad at the end. So it also at some point just cuts attention because you realize really quickly, oh, if they like Timothy Chalamet, they're they're good people. <laughs> That's the moral compass that we're working with here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. It's like the hero has to have these 21st century progressive values mm-hmm. uh, while still being a 15th century king of France. Yeah. And the twist is not that he's a time traveler, which would have made the movie eminently superior. Oh, my God. You would have had to cast Rachel McAdams. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh. She exclusively does time travel films. <laughs> Imagine like a mashup between that movie and this one. Beautiful. Beautiful. The time traveler's queen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think like to just to go back a little bit to that idea of the love story between England and France. Mm-hmm. I feel that that's if, if there is any real kind of like overall thing. And it is that, as you say, the, the love-hate relationship between these two countries. And I think more than that, but like a it's almost not an unrequited love, but like almost from England toward France. Like mm-hmm. always trying to win the French affections. Mm-hmm. And um And France is very indifferent. Even when they're yeah. being conquered, they're just kind of like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, take it. <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna speak your language or anything, but I like mean, you can take it. I feel like there's a weird envy going both ways. And you know, like there are things that I think maybe it's a cliche, but Let's say, generally speaking, France is better at than England and vice versa. And they're the things that I think both countries kind of envy of the other. France thinks England is better in anything. I think the French, deep down inside, know the British are way funnier and they fucking hate it. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, but the, both humor is just terrible. I'm, both sets of humor. Yeah. As, 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 <laughs> okay. as I said, I agree with the other night. Let, wow. me, let uh, me defend just, you. Watch Monty Python and Peep Show, and you've got all of. I think I said British culture, but really British humor. But both of those things are very funny. What's the French equivalent? <laughs> like, what have the French done that's on better, purpose funny? It's better than the French. <laughs> in terms of humor. I mean, French, the, the, as we've discovered from Shakespeare, the only time the French are funny is when they're trying to speak English. <laughs> and that's just a fact. <laughs> I would say that there is, um, if there is any jealousy of the French towards the English, it's not all French people, but I think that there's a sort of certain segment of... <laughs> Hashtag not all French people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of French society who are sort of like, would like the idea of the royal family and mm-hmm. all of the like traditions yeah. that go with that because there yes, is that's true. an incredible like I speak as an English person there is an unbelievable continuity which exists in England like th- these people like you know the, the kind of the names and the households mm-hmm. who are engaged in this war you know we say kind of like they're the same people who like you know uh, was it Old Castle was his name yeah, like yeah. yeah like that family what like you know 150 nearly 200 years later is getting kind of bent out of shape and it wouldn't surprise me if the Old Castles kind of continued for a while after that and mm-hmm. probably had and sort of like Old Castles sound off in the comments <laughs> yeah, like, and they keep kind of crop these names keep cropping up in, in British history and you know you'll find that kind of like an old castle was probably the you know viceroy of India at a certain yeah. point or something like that, and you know so you've got this sort of national Who wasn't <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know my family weren't, but yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, there's an amazing like national story which I think like and I'm not the French are obviously very proud I think of like having a revolution and doing all that jazz too, but lacking maybe the kind of like the cultural story which right. is still living, and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the small things that they might be jealous of the English of but in most other regards I think they couldn't care less maybe I'll see I think some small <laughs> sector perhaps uh, yeah. but uh, to quote from uh, Parks and Recreation uh, from a few years ago uh, your rulers are uh, enjoy the fact that your rulers are a doddering old lady and a tiny baby <laughs> <laughs> and that's American humor <laughs> So. <laughs> Timeless, evergreen, ever, evergreen joke. Who's the tiny baby? It was, it was Prince George. This right. was a long time ago. <laughs> and that was the love story. <laughs> England. La, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it. We were recording. <laughs> and now it's time for our favorite segment, Mary Fuck Kill. And this week, it really is my favorite segment because I have a perverse sense of humor and I'm really excited to see responses to the grouping for this week is the 200 year old rotting corpse of Catherine. <laughs> so you can tell the other ones are going to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> the Dauphin of France, but only as played by Robert Pattinson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Lily Rose Depp. <laughs> and Lily Rose Depp. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm in a very difficult situation. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to go out straight away and say that I think, and like, granted, I've only seen her in this and um, The Idol. <laughs> Uh Um, Mm -hmm. but I actually think that Lily Rose Depp is really good I think that she's got 
um, a real charisma on stage or in, in, on screen. Um, and like the camera loves her, I think, in my opinion. I do think the camera loves her. For me, it's a question of having Johnny Depp as a father-in-law. No, but I'm saying not, it's like not just because she's hot, not just because Johnny Depp's her father. Father, right? Mm, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> I somehow put myself in like to, to and, make and each other. I also accept that the idol, I don't know if you've seen the idol. No, as an Ethiopian, I couldn't possibly. Um, I can't watch Abel Tisfai the weekend fail so terribly. <laughs> <laughs> it is the idol is some of the worst, worst TV that I have ever seen. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of worth hate watching because it's that bad. Like, it's, um, I do kind of, I do kind of want. I want to, you know what? Sorry, I can't actually move forward until like address that you said the charisma of Lily Rose Depp. I think she's really good. I think that she's got like scream presence. And, and this is a, it's going to be a difficult thing to argue because it's like that's my feeling having watched her in this one show. Yes. I think she photographs well. I don't know that the that she has any charisma. I think she looks lovely. Mm. So let's go back to this movie. <laughs> let's go back to this 200-year-old decaying corpse. Um, <laughs> How decayed is she? <laughs> Before I make my joke. So 200 years decayed. Right. Lily Rose Depp, and then the best person ever, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> but with his hair long, dyed blonde. Oh, no, no. Like orange blonde. I'm not and attracted only to speaking in the French accent. That's it. I'm not attracted to Robert Pattinson in any other form except as the Dauphin. <laughs> I weirdly am a Cedric Diggory, but that's a different story. <laughs> that, yeah, 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 that's, a, that's another podcast, but I'd love to talk about that one. Um, yeah, uh, this is t- this is really tough for me. This is a uh, uh, kill kill. So, uh, if anyone wants to kind of jump in while I get my my wits together, well, Chris, it sounds like you're going to marry Lily Rose. Depp. I guess I'm going to marry Lily Rose Depp. I'm going to. F- I mean, I- I'm not going to. You're not going to hear me uttering the phrase "fuck the corpse." <laughs> Except we just did following, but, okay. following the something steps of Samuel Pepys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna I, like uh, fuck Robert Pattinson as the the Dauphin because I think he's amazing in this role and great just generally, uh, and then yeah, um, you know, pointlessly kill the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I too will leave the corpse uh, in her place. Um, on the other hand, I will fuck Lily Rose Depp because I do Depp because I do think she's lovely. I have no interest in her work, really. I do think she does a fine job in this film, uh, like fine in the like uh, her eyes are open. She's speaking the lines. <laughs> no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Would say two eyes and nose. And yeah, mouth, absolutely. But... She's looking in the right direction. I don't know how long it took them for her to get to that right, but she did it. Yeah, I agree. It's like one thousand two hundred and forty-four. <laughs> Bless her. No, I, I like. I mean, this is the only thing I've ever seen her in. I just I picked up on your hatred and really wanted to put her in here. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, just, for, just for funsies and. Um, I will marry the Robert Pattinson as the Dauphin, just so I have an excuse to do that accent myself and be like, all the time because it's so fun to fall into. And then just be like, I'm so sorry. Is it with my husband all the time? Rachel, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can only come in this accent now. <laughs> it is in my free, how you say, uh, the, the free natural agreement that I signed with the uh, stylo. What is the word? <laughs> No, no, we will talk in English. I like to practice my English. <laughs> Another great yeah. French, like it's, authentic to French people. It's amazing. But it's, uh, I, I would prefer to talk in English because uh, we can practice uh, while I am telling you I am going to kill you. Yeah. 
<laughs> Doesn't he say it's so easy and so ugly? <laughs> it is so easy and so ugly. And I was like, yeah, fair, accurate, accurate French disposition. <laughs> the French do um, make great villains, actually. Like, I'd so. like to revisit this corpse situation. <laughs> um, will other people know she's a corpse when I marry her? <laughs> like, can I get away with saying I'm marrying a queen? Are you do like a weekend at Bernie situation? <laughs> because I'm kind of wondering if I marry the dead corpse, which I realize, as I say, is redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, could I get all the, the 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 advantages of marrying royalty, but I don't have to deal with the royalty yapping at me? No, because the um, unfortunately the current royalty is descended from the Hanover, <sighs> Hanover, uh, the Hanovers. I don't know that, what the adjective is, but from that line, I don't know how to pronounce. So I'll get no extra money, no extra titles. No, I mean at best you get a tomb like alongside her at Westminster Abbey that hopefully no, which is not nothing. Like <laughs> Count your blessings, man. For rethinking his choices. <laughs> that's some prime. How good was Lily? Really? <laughs> well, then you know what? I'm gonna marry Lily Rose Depp because oh. yeah, I know, I know, I'm the sacrifices I make. But I'm thinking Lily Rose Depp in this role. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so like I can imagine us being fairly. You know, she'll. She'll give me her fair criticism of things, and I'll go, okay, sure, and I'll grow. Um, I'm not going to marry Robert Pattinson in this role because I, he might kill me in the middle of the night. He's so off the wall that he yeah. might decide He might decide one day, you're after, you are after me. And then, so I can't really, but I'd love to fuck He's him. He's just giving unhinged. Yeah. That's just his vibe. And then, yeah, me too, I'll uselessly kill the corpse. <laughs> I'd love to have seen the, just the script notes and the direction for Robert Pattinson in this role Same. and how much he's brought to it. Because Same. to be honest, everybody else in the movie is literally just sort of going through the fucking motion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Timothy, look sad. Falstaff, look weirdly heroic. <laughs> he's like Rocky when he turns up and it's like the line where he doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a fight. Like it's a... <laughs> Robert, we're going to unblindfold you and you'll find out what movie you're in. (laughs) Do a French accent. Go. I read the teleprompter. It's fine. I fucking love it if that's how they did it. His death scene, and this is uh, also something that Alice's observation uh, was like. Um, it's amazing that that hasn't been memed more. Like when it, it's so that's true. a great point. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like great so the, point. The death scene is he's in the he he's having one on one combat with Shalomay. <laughs> um, he's in like full black armor, and then he just sort of starts slipping on the mud. Yeah, it up, and it's it's ridiculous. And then Shalomay eventually just puts his sword down and kind of does like makes a kind of small hand gesture to <laughs> just the English peasant infantry who then go and murder the French. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the the filmmakers making a subtle kind of like reference to the general um, situation of mm-hmm. Agincourt. So I think we're we're learning as well as laughing. <laughs> um. Learning and laughing could be the tagline Good of this dumb, podcast. Good job. <laughs> Um, so you're killing the corpse. Killing the corpse. She's doing exactly what you're doing, yeah. but with very different emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Truly going through the motions, except with Robert Pattinson. <laughs> so have we got three kills on the corpse, sorry? We've got three kills on the corpse. Yeah. Three kills on the corpse. <laughs> three, which is three more than we need. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off from the desecrated tomb. <laughs> this is We'll Always Have Paris. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.